When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's what everybody, we are back in this episode 209, Why Do We Need Version Control? And I just saw that Mike removed the word GIT in all caps, so I'm just going to say it. GIT! You know what I mean? You get it really loud, all caps, full on uh, accidental, and <laughs> accidental all cap or cap lock usage. But if this sounds interesting to you, <laughs> and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And just a brief disclaimer... Um, I might be coughing and whatever because I am, I have a cold. So just an FYI, I apologize if my voice sounds different or if I start coughing randomly. But Mike, before I do start coughing, please, sir, take it away. All right. Yeah. Why do we need version control? I took away the git for you just not to say it because it's going to be part of the title, but it doesn't need to be said. But it is git. Like we're talking about git in capitals because it's an abbreviation of something that I don't even know what. Um, What I want to do in this episode is kind of go down the list of like the reasons that we need version control. I want to have a discussion with Matt about version control in general, because I know Matt, he actually does a lot of no code tools and a lot of a lot less coding stuff. So he doesn't actually have a a ton of use for it. And in fact, we will talk about this a little bit more in depth, but we had our own experience with our own version control system using OneDrive. So I think we've talked about on the podcast before, but we'll go in depth into that as well about the successes and failures of that. But I've been in version control using version control for like seven or eight years now. Uh, any project that I've worked on in the pa- in that in that amount of time has all been, you know, proper Git systems, uh, either with Bitbucket or with GitHub. Um, I haven't used GitLab before, but like there's a lot of different there's a lot of different companies that are creating like version control systems using Git. And that's kind of been the standard across the board. But first of all, what is version control? To sum it up, uh, a great exam, a great summary from Atlassian, and I'll link where I got it from, is version control, also known as source control, is the practice of tracking and managing changes to software code. That's it. So any change that you make, any addition or subtraction, Anything that you do is tracked and listed in a history so that you can go look back and see when and what and who made that change. And all those things are really important, right? And I'll explain why they're important with examples down the line, but just know that it's really important to be able to track those changes. Another little fun fact, Linus Torvalds, who is the creator of Linux, is the person that actually came up with Git because he was frustrated with any other version control system. He was frustrated version control in general, and he was creating Linux at the time. And Linux, as you know, has many, many, many versions. Like, And there's a lot of people creating it because it's an open source project. So just tracking who made what change and then, and then testing like what change caused what bug was a huge problem. And Linus Torvalds actually created Git to manage this problem, and we've been using Git ever since. 
obviously with some modifications down the line, like Git has matured a lot from when it was created. I can't remember what the date was, but it was a long time ago. And uh, yeah, we're we're using a, a system that was created out of frustration, which I feel like is a probably a pretty common situation. Like a lot of systems were created out of frustration for not having that tool, right? Like even like something like Word or Google Docs was created from, from that reason, most likely, right? So what are the different version control systems? I'm not going to get too far into it because literally I've only ever used Git, <laughs> but there are other version control systems out there. Mercurial, Mercurial, can't pronounce it. Mercurial is one. I've heard of that one. I've heard it's pretty bad. Uh, I'm going to take a stab at this. Mercurial. Mercurial. That, that's a better way of saying it. I'm not going to say it again because I don't think I can even repeat what you just said. Okay. Either way. <laughs> Apparently, I've heard I've heard people complain about it. I've never used it. There's SVN, there's CVS, and then obviously the one we're going to be talking about today is Git. Other than that, that's really it. Like Git is version control. Version control is something that we are using on a daily basis as developers, and it's something that we need to use. And I, I, I know that there's some people out there, and it's probably a pretty low minority that refuse to go into version control systems. If you're working alone, especially, I could see that as an argument. Um, but for the most part, for any project that you work on, it's a really important system to have. And I really want to get into the why do we need version control right now? Because it's just there, there's a lot of different facets of it, right? I want to just jump in actually really quick before you jump into this, because I do think like, you know, since we've already kind of talked about some of the the more specifics like Git and CVS and all these different types and stuff. One thing that, you know, to keep in mind, because Mike's already talked about it, version control is just the simple notion that if you think about it, if you are working on a project right now, either cooperatively with somebody else or just yourself and you're working away and it's just something as simple for the sake of example as an HTML file. And you have a nav bar in there, a body and a footer. And you go in there to drastically change the design and layout of that nav bar. And you do that today. So you have a basic nav bar yesterday and you're going to have, let's say, an advanced nav bar today. Version control allows you to a revert back to that standard one, that one from before. It allows you to say back out if applying the advanced nav bar is really cumbersome and really problematic. It allows you to do things before, say, jumping off. So, for example, if, if you if it allows you to say, hey, OK, I'm going to change this whole layout, but all the classes are going to change. And this is sort of like a big change for me. And I, I need to do this all at once or else it's going to be all messed up on the site. You can easily sort of take a if you really if you really think about it, you can really just take a backup or take a version of it. I, I, the reason why I want to say this stuff is because I think version control, especially Git, is sort of taught and trained almost like its own coding language. And whereas it does have its own set of commands and its own set of um, not necessarily syntax, but its own language used, a lot of lingo is used, a lot of stuff that you do need to learn or you should learn. At the end of the day, Git is really there to just basically say, hey, Matt, try or Matt pushed an update that, you know, changed all classes in the nav bar. Matt did another change where we like it's constantly just taking it's almost like just constantly taking like a little backup, a little snapshot. And the reason why it's called version control is because it, it tracks specifically what changed in what file and where in that file is basically it. But you don't 
need to necessarily worry about that when you're getting into the beginnings and into the in, into it as like an introduction. You just need to think of it as instead of you taking a file and being like, okay, I'm going to take a full copy of this whole project and then start like, you know, project dash new as we've all done a million and one times when exporting images for clients and stuff. Instead of that, where it's like dash new, dash new, new, dash new, 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 dash, dash 2000, dash final version control just does all that. And it's still just the project. So just keep that in mind. And then as you need the various advanced features or as you hit problems with Git where you're like, hey, what's this mean? What the heck is that? Hey, I need to do this. How do I do that? Then you can learn the pieces. But at the end of the day, it's about effectively keeping things backed up and keeping you sane when doing usually rather large changes. That's correct. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you it's to keep you sane because if you don't do this, you are going to have a bad time. Like it, it's very, very possible that something will go wrong and how are you going to revert, right? Like if you don't have some sort of system. So one of the first things, like why do we need version control? See the history of changes. Like Matt was saying, you go back and see, hey, Matt changed this particular file, the index.html file, and he changed this in that file, which is like, you know, lines 200 to 300 where the nav bar is being created, right? You go and look at the live site, something's wrong with the nav bar. And then you kind of look at the fact that a change was made and what time it was made and what time it was deployed. And you can make a reasonable assumption that the version before that should still be working. And what allows you to do when you see the history of changes, the next thing in, in why do we need version control is revert that change to go back to a previous commit as they're called. Now, let me take a second now to outline the major verbiage that I'll be using throughout the rest of this episode. Because I think it's important if you're just going into this blind to understand just some basic co word concepts that are used in Git. One of those things is a clone. So cloning means that you're taking a repository and just taking a copy locally onto your system. So when you first start a project that let's say is a work project, you would clone the repository locally using the clone keyword. There is branches. So branches are different versions of the code and they can be created from a different version as well. So like the main branch, let's say there's main and master. That's what they're called. Master is an older version. Main is what they're called now. That's the, that's where you're like code that's live or code that is the final is living. But you can also create a branch off of master, which is just another version called something like dev. And all the development changes, let's say, are being done on dev. And when you're happy with what's done on dev, you can do that. And here's another, another set of words. You can create a pull request or a merge into master or main. And when you do that, essentially anything that you have on dev is compared to what you have in main and merged in. So I said like they do a difference comparison and they, and they check that, Hey, this didn't exist. So we're going to add it to main. This didn't exist. We're going to add it to main. This was altered. This was edited. This file was edited. We're going to edit it in main. What actually, happens? Oh, yep. sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I actually have a good example of, of two branches is we were working on a small project one time and we were just working in master because it was a small project and we were working with one other developer and he was only in there occasionally. And we used the branch system because like I said, we were all just using master. 
where you use the branch system because at one point there was a non-critical but like really freaking confusing bug. And what we did was I thought it should be fixed in one way or troubleshot one way. And he sh- he thought another way. So we thought, all right, well, the heck with this. Instead of us trying one and it failing and then trying the other and it failing, he went and created a branch and he went and troubleshot it in whatever way he was going to. And then I went and created another branch, found out the way that or fixed it the way I thought. And then he just kind of killed off his branch, whatever you call that, because his version actually did not work out. And mine did. And then we merged mine back into master and then just kept going along our merry way. So just a really simple example of using branches is it's just it's just another way to just sort of be like, hey, we don't want to push this tr- this obviously this troubleshooting and this testing to to the website, which is what master is. So let's do all the testing in these two branches, whichever one works, merge in. And then now we can put it onto the site and the, bu- the bug is fixed. Correct. I like that. And again, there's many, many different ways to use Git. There's many Git workflows. I'll talk about a particular Git workflow that I've been using for the past few years in the next segment. But know that, you know, using multiple branches, using 100 branches, that, that's all viable. Like you can do that, right? Um, but yeah, that's what, branch, that's what branches are. That's what merging is. That's what uh, pull requests are. There's also commit. A commit is when you've done a change in your branch and you want to save that change to the Git repository, to the Git system. What you can do is you can commit that and add a commit message saying like, hey, I changed the nav bar. And that will now be logged in the history that we talked about before in the version control history as a change to the code. Right. So this is where you can actually revert back to this change, this commit that you just created. Now, the complication here a little bit is that when you're doing when you're working locally on Git, you're usually attached to a remote Git repository as well. So local the local repository that you've cloned before is on your computer. But let's say you have a work repository on GitHub that you've cloned. You want to be able to sync those changes between local and remote. So your local repository or GitHub. What you can do is after you've done a commit, you can push it. So that's another another word, another action, another uh, um, another uh, usage of Git, uh, where you can push your changes to the remote repository, and now they're not only saved locally as a commit, they're now saved remotely on GitHub as a commit, right? So if another team member goes in and looks at the changes on GitHub, they will now be able to see the changes right there on the website. There's also uh, polling. So if you want, if someone's made a change on GitHub remotely and you need to pull that change, you need to get that change locally, that would be called a pull request or sorry, a pull command. And then there's a fetch command. So if you don't want to, let's say, actually change anything in your code base, but you want to see if anyone's done any changes remotely, if your team member has changed something on the actual GitHub, you can just do a fetch and it'll list the changes that have been made. So now you know if you need to pull or you don't need to pull. Those are the basic concepts of GIF. Those are the basic actions, basic commands that I'll be talking about. There are going to be some other ones I'll explain along the way. But I just wanted to give a little bit of a preface before I dive too deeply into why do we need version control or my Git workflow. So people aren't like super confused about all the verbiage that I'm going to be throwing out. So moving along here, uh, 
a really important reason to use version control is multiple people working in the same code base. If you think about it, uh, when you're working with a coworker or you're working in a team of people, everyone has to make changes to the same code, to the same code base, sometimes even the same file. This isn't recommended, but it happens, right? The system that Git uses to merge those changes or create pull or you, you create pull requests or you check commit messages and you merge them manually, that's a very key feature to working in a team. Without it, it it's a disaster. Again, back to, let, let's do story time a little bit, Matt, here. Uh, back when we first started Digital Dynasty Design and we didn't know Git, which is weird, but regardless, we didn't know Git. Uh, we used OneDrive as our version control system. Really, it was just obviously a cloud drive. And a, f- a couple of times, we had situations where I we were working in the same project and I would open a file in OneDrive and he would open that same file and we would overwrite each other's changes because OneDrive doesn't know whose file is the most important. OneDrive doesn't care. That's not what it's for. It's a storage That's, system. Yeah, it's not, yeah. A, it's not version control. Although I will say... One thing too is like we did use it quite effectively. We had we had OneDrive set up on both our machines. We didn't live super close to each other, so it was like backups in two different locations. Also backed up in the cloud, which is you know God knows where, probably in America somewhere. And then we had another system that would take the whole OneDrive and save it in another file history thing. So if somebody accidentally deleted a file. Obviously, it would be deleted from my computer, Mike's computer, and the cloud, but it's okay because we had this weekly or monthly, whatever it was, backup somewhere else. So, yeah, yeah, we we really, like, I mean, we really used the hell out of OneDrive. Like, we got got our damn money's worth. I will say one other thing, too, is, like, I don't think it's weird to not know version control right away either because you're sitting there trying to learn all these commands and stuff. And I'm not talking about Git commands. I'm talking, like, you're learning web development. You know, and then to say, hey, here's this other thing called version control, and you really should learn not the UI, which, you know, you have to learn some of the, even the UI has obviously all the, um, in the lingo in there. So you have to learn some of the lingo of, in, in terms of Git. But it's like, hey, he learn, learn this full language and language is potentially like, you don't even know what HTML is. You don't know what CSS is. You know what JS is. You don't know what React is or whatever. And then also, by the way, just to manage your files. Yeah, you know, you learn this Git thing. I could absolutely see this, especially with solo learning and like self-learning. I could absolutely see Git falling, falling through the cracks because you're going to think I could probably just, you know, copy paste another version for myself because I need to learn this other stuff first. Because I would arguably say that Git is important, but using Git in its most basic form is rather easy and so you could learn it in a day. The advanced stuff is advanced, which I'm sure Mike doesn't even know all the advanced stuff. There's a lot of advanced stuff you could do. But just like anything, you're not digging through the, like the WordPress settings to find every single potential filter and setting you could ever use. So I just think just just a just a shout out to those that are like, Jesus, I don't know, Git. <laughs> because that this is the reason why we used OneDrive is because we thought, well, you know, we could just copy paste these files and we did this successfully for like two or three years. So don't feel bad. Yeah, for sure. I, I do. And I have a whole segment for this at the end of the show. So I'll, I'll move like, let's talk about it now since we're getting into it. Uh, I do kind of disagree with that. I think 
Git is more important to learn earlier on than we made it out to be. Um, and it's because a lot of the time when you're going into your first entry-level job interview, a portion of that interview will 100% be on Git because of the damage that can be done by hiring someone that doesn't know it. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. And I'll get in. Uh, there's another whole segment called what can go wrong and stuff goes wrong. Like stuff goes really wrong if you don't know the basics or even like a little bit of the more more complex stuff of Git. Um, so I think I think it's still like if we were to go back to school, if I were to create my own curriculum for like our course, essentially, Matt, I would put Git in that curriculum. I would put Git work, a, a Git workflow, at least a basic one into that curriculum so that people are starting to use it right away. So when they get to their first job interview, or when you start working on your own projects, you're already in that mindset. Because like you said, once we got out of college, we didn't have a lot of experience. We didn't have any experience with Git. Our, it's easier for us to just use OneDrive. It's fine. And we, we were using it fairly well. Like you said, we only had one or two mix-ups the whole time, like the whole like two or three years that we were using it. But the reality is that a lot of people are going to the job. And yes, the job should teach you how to use it. But to get that job and to go into the interview, you actually need to know it. Like, I don't sure. disagree with you. I want to be clear. Like, I, I think if you're going for the job, I think it's important to learn Git for going into a job. I agree with you completely. I'm just saying that I'm not going to fault. Like, I don't know. I'm not going to fault slash I understand fully if you're like, hold on a second. You know, I'm not going to learn four technologies and Git. I'm going to learn these four technologies, learn to make the site. Then I could make a project for my portfolio. What when I'm a when I've learned to make sites, and I'm going to start thinking about building my portfolio, so I have a portfolio to like show off the job, you know, uh, prospective whatever prospective uh, interviewers and prospective places that are going to be interviewing me. Then I'm going to build a project with the skills I had using Git, therefore learning Git. And that's going to be a portfolio project that I'll show off. Like to me, it's like Git is important before you get into the workplace, but it's the last step. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. But know, it, like, it, it, like it doesn't have to be the last step, but I'm saying like, I don't. It's like learning Git. Maybe you can argue this, but learning Git to me is not as hard. As learning all the stuff that you need, even even like WordPress like even learning, I explained a, a WordPress problem to you, Mike, today that I solved and was messing with and fighting with. And you were like, I don't know what that is. Like, that's all gobbledygook. Yeah. Right. Gibberish. And Gibberish. so it's like, to me, it's like learning the creation tool. In this case, whatever language or framework that you're going for is more important. And then Git can be learned after. Still important, to be clear. But... To me, it's like, I think it's easier to learn Git because I haven't learned, I haven't used Git in a while. It's projects we've been using have not needed Git. The projects I've been doing have not needed Git Re like recently. So I'm going to be rusty at it, but I could pick it up faster than I could be like, well, I completely, I completely forget all my JavaScript, but <laughs> like I best get, I best get back to that because I need it tomorrow. That's, that's just my opinion because 
because there are assistance there, there is assistance, excuse me, um, available in the form of things like source tree and stuff like that with Git UI. I, okay. So a few things that you said that I 100% agree with Git is easier to learn than all the other technologies like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Like those are much harder to wrap your head around than Git. Obviously they're more important as well. Right. 100% agree with you on that. Where I don't agree is I think you need to learn Git before you would tackle a portfolio project, for instance. Okay. So the reason for that is a lot of the time now, people, the hiring managers, they the portfolio projects are one of the most important pieces of the hiring process for a junior developer. And it's not just how, like, it's not just, hey, you've created this. That's awesome. It's how you created it. And they do go into the Git history of a portfolio project and look at the changes made. How you committed, how you, did you do pull requests? Did you use the proper branching techniques? That is part of the hiring process now. So it might not have been a little while ago when we were going through school and maybe that's why we didn't learn it. But right now, literally coming out of college, you're going to be thrown into Git right away and your portfolio better use Git. That's literally how it is. Because we need to like the, the hiring people, the people that are hiring need to know that you understand the core concepts because it's, it is critical to, <laughs> because you can easily take down websites with the improper Git usage now. So, oh, sure. Sure. Like yeah. continuous integration is like, correct is like, you know, critical for a lot of teams. It's not used all over the place, obviously, but well, one thing actually I'd like to point out is, um, I mean, we, you mentioned our college, you know, our college, our coding started with a teacher that literally said, you don't code and kind of like alluded to the fact I'm not giving a direct quote because it's been a number of years now, but it's like, you know, we don't code like no one codes. Everyone just takes pieces of code that other people have written and modifies it for their own thing. Like you don't need to know how to code. You need to know how to take code and like take code and then modify it for your thing. So if I'm looking for like, I don't know, a piece of code that makes a robot open pop cans. I look for for like a robot that lifts things and then I adjust the angle parameter if there's a variable in that code to make it so that it will lift the little pop tab. Like that was his actual like mantra was that no, like we don't code like we like humans don't code like everything that's it, it was almost like as if he thought everything that would ever be coded ever in the history of man Mystery of people, whatever the universe had already been coded, and all we're doing is constantly recycling code. I don't know where he where he got that. Maybe because that's what he does, and that's fine. Because a lot of us use Stack Overflow, but at the same time, <laughs> there are times that I do, and I have even with WordPress wrote up some stuff. Like I get it, I get what he's saying, and it's actually like almost refreshing for a teacher to acknowledge that, but only acknowledging that and not acknowledging understanding what a variable is and declaring it yourself and stuff like that is a little bit bizarre. So then when we did go to another year, which was the final year where we did have a teacher that taught us to actually code, it was another whole thing because he taught us to code. Again, there's that hard part. We were learning embedded, so it wasn't web dev, but, but he did say when we were leaving that, we should learn Git because a lot of places like it. He did say that, but he didn't teach us that. So that's, this is probably where my thought process comes from because we like learn effectively learned to code or learn to 
not code, and then learned to code, and then didn't learn Git. Whereas I would assume, this is an assumption, like I said, is that if we had this same teacher that taught us to code proper the first year, and then also had him for the second year, we probably would have integrated Git maybe halfway through the second class. That's just my thought. Yeah. I think I think it was a teacher thing, and I, I just want to reiterate Matt's point a little bit here about because I had the same teacher, obviously. We lunacy, of course. Lunacy is what I'd like to say. Lunacy. It was lunacy to the point of delusion because I would ask him, and multiple people in the class would ask him, like, should I be learning to code during his rants? Right, like he would rant, and then we'd be like, we'd get to the textbook, and there would be code in there. That you have to learn and know how to like know how to declare a variable, like literally know how to declare a variable. And I'd be like, "Should I learn how to declare a variable?" And his response was always no. Yeah, the just copy paste no, it. Yeah. <laughs> Every single time, like I, I asked him probably a dozen times about a dozen different concepts. Like, should shouldn't we learn how to do a for loop? Like, what is a for loop? Like, he would explain it to us, but we never actually coded it because he wouldn't let us code. Like literally, we were not allowed to code. Now, the epitone and the the thing that blew everyone up and the thing that caused Matt to throw his uh, microcontroller across the hallway was the fact that we had a lab test. Before oh, here the lab we go. Test, here comes the, the story. Test, oh, yeah. This is a complete tangent. But before the lab test, we asked this teacher maybe 15, 20 times, will we need to code on this lab test? Because we haven't coded all year. No, we have not at all. We literally, like he said, like he gave us code that we copy pasted and we changed uh, some digits. That's it. That's all we'd done. That's all we've done. Year. And we Googled stuff sometimes. That was it. Yeah. And copy pasted code. Like we did not write a single line of code the entire year. So I was like on the lab test worth a lot of our grade. Are we going to need to code or we're going to be copy pasting? He's like, you will do not. Again, he his mantra. You do not need to know how to code. No one. No one codes. No one, no codes. one codes. Come the lab test. Write this code. Yep. With with without Verbatim. Google, without Verbatim. without looking at the um, the textbook, it was a closed book. It's a closed book. So where am I supposed to copy paste from? <laughs> Fuck, I I'm already getting I'm, I'm getting mad now. <laughs> like, I'm already mad. Like, I'm, I'm already just because I would have learned to code if you would have just said like anything like indicating that we needed to code. I would have just like gone and learned to code. It wasn't that big of a deal to me. It's just like. He was so adamant about not coding. What, what a crazy, what a crazy experience that whole entire semester, like three now semesters I, or two semesters was. I have a small thing to add to this, Mike. The story like continues. So I like whip my microcontroller thing down the thing, which was like called the AVR or maybe the Atmel um, butterfly, which is basically like a little, I call it a training board. It has like a little like joystick and a little OS and you can like program it to do stuff. It's for training. It's for messing around and maybe hobbyists or whatever. And it has like a little chip on there, whatever. So it's like kind of like the very first, like it's a low power chip and you kind of mess around with it and plug it into USB, I think, or I don't know, maybe serial or something. I don't remember, but it's basically like a little training board. And I whipped that thing. Like Mike said, I freaking got out of that class. and I whipped that because we never. I was like, do we need this again? Nope. No worries. And just freaking whip that thing. But anyway, um, years prior, here's the story. Years prior, I was waiting for a friend in the lab section so I was like, was going to carpool with a friend um, elsewhere and my classes were done for the day. So I was waiting in that section and all these guys came running out of a lab, ended up being that lab. And they were 
uh, from, you know, two or three years advanced, like two or three years further in, in the course than we were. And I did not know this at this time. And someone grabbed their butterfly and I didn't know what it was at the time. And he fucking whipped it. Like he whipped it down the hall. Like I whipped it across the hall, like a little, little shortest. He friggin' tossed her right down the hall. Maybe I did whip it down the hall. I don't remember, but, um, and everyone came out of that room saying, Oh, like my butterfly screwed up. And like, I can't figure this out. And like, everyone was like, just, just like to the limit with anger, yelling and screaming and everything. And they were complaining about this thing. And I was like, man, holy crap. I hope I never do that. And I remember when I, when I was in that lab, that memory showed up and I was just like, Oh my God, I'm those people. (laughs) And I think that made me even more upset. Oh my God. It hasn't changed in like one to two years. And he knew it. Like he was doing it on purpose. So like, yeah, it was, um, Very interesting experience that I do not wish on anyone, and it has nothing to do with version control. But regardless, I think it was still a good uh, tangent to go down. Now, I'm going to drink a bubbly here, which is a sparkly yeah. water, and um, you continue, player. I'm going to cool down. Yeah. To, to finish off the segment of why we were not taught con- version control in school, I want to give an example of where I would teach it. Like Matt, you said, like sometime in the second semester or something like that. That's probably around correct. Like, I don't think you teach it first because you need some context to be able to understand why you need it, right? Like, you need to be able – like, you can't just teach Git without knowing HTML, CSS, JavaScript, without knowing the fundamentals. So, I think it's still really important to go through the fundamentals first of web development. And then the way to teach it would be to show an example issue without version control. So show where version control can benefit a whole, like maybe a whole class or a couple classes on different workflows of like where version control could actually benefit your project. And that's how you would teach Git. It wouldn't be a whole semester, obviously. It would probably be a couple classes, but it would then become a requirement, let's say, for all your tests moving forward or all your pro- like group projects moving forward. That's it. It would just be a couple couple classes, a requirement moving forward so that people can ask you questions as they go along and get used to the system of being able to collaborate on code without just sharing files back and forth, which is how we did it. You know, you know, one thing, too, I just thought of is there is one thing that we did collaboratively in in class, and that was um, in our sysadmin class, we had like a like a, I don't know, a major, I think it was called server DC, they called it. But it was a server that we would interact with because we were basically making in the lab, like little fake office infrastructures and, and, you know, trying to pull the users or add SSO from this server DC that would be configured in various ways for the different labs. Realistically speaking, it'd be very easy to host a, a, a local web server. It would almost make sense to have a class made website where each group or each class uh, classmate is given an area like a page and it's really easy. Like we're not going to get into design and stuff like this. We're not going to get, you know, whatever, but to learn Git and then like, yeah, try to merge into this site. And if it breaks it, I mean, it's not even on the internet. Who cares? Yeah. It, it almost makes sense like, that way. You yeah, know, it does exactly. Like there's just so many different ways you could teach Git that would make sense. And then just make people use it moving forward. Like there's group projects in development in web development or any development that need to be collaborative. We were, just passing files back and forth because no one was enforcing or teaching us how to use Git. 
which didn't and we were taught like file management, like taught yeah. to make file servers, which is probably why we were so effective at using OneDrive because we were used to file servers and knew how to use them and could just we could make one without OneDrive. Yep. Yeah. yeah, we can make our own version of OneDrive for sure. Um, but yeah, so again, just to wrap that up, that's I would definitely teach Git inside of the the school. It's not a big deal, like Matt said. It's not the most complicated thing. It needs to be. It needs to have some context, so you need to teach it after the basics. But yeah, just throw it in there. Throw it in the curriculum. It's a day or two at most, and a forcing factor. Now, I have learn. one quick question for you. Here is that there's a lot of things in Git. So there's like you know merge branches, you know master. Um, push, pull, clone, yep. say, you know, six, seven terms, maybe a couple I've missed in there. Um, six, seven terms that you kind of need to know pretty well off the hop. You know, so maybe branches are a bit, quote unquote, more advanced than the absolute basics. But generally, let's say six, seven terms you need to know roughly. Um, how early would you start training more advanced things? Like I would say a pull request is actually a little advanced. And it also feels a little weird too, because it's like, I've done pull requests with you when we've worked on say a client project where I've helped with the layout and you've done, you know, whatever else, some logic or something in the, for the UI. And then we've like merged our changes together. But I, realistically, I haven't really had to do too many pull requests in my time. So when someone say contributes to an open source project and they just do a pull request, like it feels, first of all, like I'm not super familiar with them. But also, it seems like super informal almost. So it's like at what point and maybe how advanced would things like pull requests and more like there's a bunch of stuff you can do in Git that I'm sure, you know, people have done for like some crazy data recovery stuff or something, right? Like someone definitely has some complicated project that's been maintained for a number of years and they've had to go back to some version but they needed to keep some merge. And there's a bunch of stuff in Git. So like, like how much do you need to worry about? Because I've done, you know, push, pull, clone, all that stuff, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. That's the stuff that I use every day. You know, like at what point, like at, where do the basics stop and the advanced begin? Like at what point can, what point is entry level job interview enough? Like where can, if someone's going for an entry level job interview is a better way to say it. Where can they stop? Is it okay if they know clone, push, pull? Do they need, do they need to know, you know, branches? Do they need to know pull requests? Like where, like where, like approximately, because every job is different, but where would you stop? So pull requests, I would say are a must know. Okay. They're a must. Okay. Yeah. For a job interview. Like I use pull requests on a daily basis. Because of continuous integration, right? CI, right? Uh, Not just because of that, just for code review purposes. So any, essentially any pull requests, and I'll explain this in a second, but any pull request that I make has to be reviewed by another person before mm. it's merged into the development branch, right? So for that purpose, we all do pull requests from the, any branch that we work on into dev uh, to maintain one code base and to actually have people looking at each other's code. And looking at each other's code is really critical because it's not just for like catching errors, it's for noticing patterns, it's for uh, asking the right questions, it's for asking questions, it's for learning, it's for a million different things. Like I code reviews is a whole, it's a whole other episode that I want to do. And I think we've done a little bit on it before, but I want to do a whole episode on it because it's so important 
in the design in a team infrastructure. I think everyone, it shouldn't be just like you're sending your code to the manager or something to review. It should be every single person is reviewing something at all times. Right. This it's, is where it starts getting messy too, because if you're a self-taught person, like who well, who are you working with correct. to to so, to allow for pull requests and stuff? Not even just like you know, if you just forget about the code reviews, obviously no one's reviewing your code necessarily. But it's like who's going to do a, co- a pull request with you? Uh, maybe no open one. source, but again, like the first time, it's going to be like, what is going on here? Correct, and that's why I think it needs to be part of the school curriculum as well. Again, in a group project setting, or as the as the teacher, if you're doing. Uh, some sort of collaborative project, you can have people pull request into a main branch and you can do a code review to every single person and then they can see that process. So like a pull request should be taught as part of a workflow that you've enforced on the students. So there should be a workflow that the students have to follow that's structured because that's something that they're going to get in the job, in the job. And in the like, that workflow that you give them is probably not going to be the same as the job workflow, but just following a workflow of any kind is going to be make it easier for you for the student or the person to adapt to any other workflow down the line, right? Because now they've understood there's processes in place for certain reasons. So when a, when there's a group project, for instance, that's when maybe you uh, introduce the pull request as part of the requirement of that project. So hey, I want to be. I want to see that everyone that's contributed to the project has done a pull request, at least one pull request into the project's code base, and not just merge their their changes manually. It'd be an easy ask. I sense a Mike blog post incoming about all this. Yeah, there's probably going to be something. <laughs> I've yeah, I've I've been learning a lot, and I've been using a lot of these kinds of uh, workflows, and I've been kind of perfecting it. I try to make it my the goal of all of this stuff is to make it so that it doesn't interfere with the development process, but it makes sure that there's a, a way to catch errors before they get there and a way to revert easily. So just to summarize, why do we need ver- uh, version control? See the history of changes, revert changes, allow multiple people to work in the same code base, have proper merge change management. So pull requests, for instance, that we just talked about. And Matt mentioned it a little bit, deployment and continuous integration purposes. Right now, Git version control in general is merged into a lot of different infrastructures that do continuous integration and deployment management because of its structured approach to branches. So essentially, let me just break it down a little bit. Deployment means you're taking your code and putting it somewhere on a server that is accessible by like a domain, right? Like www.whatever.com. Like you're uploading the homepage of a site. Correct. For the that, sake of example. That's a deployment. With continuous integration added to it, that means that anytime you do a certain change, it automatically launches a deployment for you. You don't have to go and manually drag those files over or run the build command for that, for that matter, right? To deploy those changes. So how it works with Git is a lot of the times, this is a standard workflow, the main branch is used for production. So anytime you do changes to the main branch, a production deployment is launched automatically, which will include you know, the NPM installs, the NPM run builds, and any other uh, dependencies that you need to do during a deployment. They'll automatically run on a push to main. 
Then you have a dev branch, which is like your development branch. And that's usually something like a dev domain or a pre-prod domain, somewhere where you're going to be testing your live changes before you actually put them live. So it's also going to be anytime you do an update to, to dev, it's also going to launch a automatic uh, deployment. Not to the production, not to like the .com domain, but maybe to like the .dev domain or something like that. So then there, you can go down more like you can have a staging uh, uh, branch, you can have a dev branch, you can have a QA branch, you can have multiple different branches that are deploying to different environments. But at the end of the day, essentially certain branches can deploy to different environments. That's the main, that's the main point of the continuous integration. And this is where things can obviously go wrong. <laughs> and I'll get into that in a second. But having said that, I want to kind of go through quickly my Git workflow currently as it stands. So the first thing I do, if I were to like essentially be onboarded onto a project, I would clone that project using the Git clone command. Then I would create a branch off of dev with whatever Jira ticket name that has been assigned to me. So if the Jira ticket name is BRD-123, my branch name off of dev will be BRD-123. So now there's a direct link between my Jira ticket that I'm working on, that I'm fixed, that I'm working on a fix, and the branch that I'm working on currently in my local repository. I would do the changes to that branch. So fix whatever it needs to be fixed. I would commit those changes. So I would push those changes that push the branch to uh, to to uh, the GitHub or Bitbucket or whatever. And with that pushed, I would create a pull request into dev. So I would in that pull request, I would obviously link to the GitHub. Sorry, to the to the Jira ticket that I'm solving. I would say stuff like I would I would have another couple different things that I would fill out, like what I changed, why I changed them, how I verified that. So I would the pull request usually takes anywhere between five to 10 minutes to create because you put a little bit of thought into it. You put a little bit of text into it. You put you put some documentation down of what you changed. And then I would add a reviewer. So whether it be a member of the team, whether it be the team lead, however your your team works. Currently, again, we we run through the entire team. So uh, I just randomly assign it to someone that I didn't assign last time. So I assign a reviewer and then I create that pull request. Usually after that, I'll even though they get a notification, I'll message that the person that I assigned to review and ask them, hey, when you get a chance, can you please take a look? And inside of that pull request, they can request any changes that they want, right? Like they can go in and literally line by line, look at all the changes that you made and comment line by line. So if there's like, hey, you labeled this variable wrong or whatever, uh, they can give me those um they can give me those comments. I can. They can say that, hey, it's back in review, and I can go back and uh, change everything. Change everything on my branch. And anytime I change anything on my branch and push it and commit and push, it automatically updates that pull request. I don't need to create another pull request, right? So that's the great thing. You can do this review process without having to create like fifteen different pull requests. Otherwise, it would be a big pain. Once it's a fully approved. It is now it is now allowed to be merged, and you can press merge into dev. So now dev has the changes that you made in your branch fully merged in. And as we just talked about before, dev usually is linked to some sort of QA environment, QA instance in 
uh, in a live build. So it does a deployment to a QA instance. And that QA instance is now updated with whatever is in dev. So you're allowed to proceed with the process of QA. So QA will go in there, whether it's a team, whether it's a person, whatever, it doesn't matter. We'll go in there, check that your changes are there based on your JIRA ticket. So everything's linked to the JIRA ticket. And then once that's approved, that means that now it's ready to deploy. Ready to deploy means you can create a pull request from dev into main. That's it. Once main is updated again, like I said before, main updates, automatically there's a deployment right to production. So that's the most important step. That step you don't want to do every day for sure. Dev can be updated pretty frequently. Main, you want to make sure that you're doing, you know, like one big update or one update a week or something like that. Um, changes. Oh, another little thing. So let's say while you're doing your pull request, uh, while you're doing your um, your changes, something is updated on the, the dev branch. So another team member has updated the branch, has succeeded a pull request. Before you create your pull request, what you want to do is merge the changes that they've done on dev into your current branch to make sure that there's no conflicts. And you can use that with a simple command called git pull using origin dev. So that just means that, hey, I want to pull the changes from the origin, which is the remote branch, which is the branch that's on GitHub dev the remote dev branch to my current local branch and that will take all the changes that have been made on dev while you were working merge them in and tell you if there's any conflicts if there's merge conflicts again git is really good at managing those if there are some that need to be uh manually changed it'll label them for you it'll give you like a uh here's their change here's your change this is the conflict do you want to take their change do you want to take your change or do you want to combine them so that, that's usually how it works. This is a VS Code thing, uh, like a Git plugin, or not a Git plugin, this is built into VS Code. There's other ways you can do that merge management. It can be done with Vim, whatever. And uh, it's it's a very big feature of, of Git because doing merge management manually, just checking line by line of, a, of, a, of two files is a pain and we've done it before. Like I've done that manually before. Sometimes it happens, like, again, with with with, Matt's ex- with our example with OneDrive, we changed a single file once at the same time, and we had to go and manually merge that. It was a pain. With Git, it's a little bit less of a pain. Still have to do it. And finally here, this is where, this is where that cutoff is, Matt, I think, for, for me, uh, where you probably don't need to know this before you get into an interview, but it would be a good thing to kind of look at at least, is Git rebase. Rebasing essentially means you're taking a bunch of commits and merging them into one commit. So you're killing all those commit messages that you made. You're making one commit message that will overwrite the history of all those commits. And it's mainly used for cleaning up. So if you have like, let's, I'll give you an example. Let's say you're testing something in production, something's not going right. And every time you have to, uh, you have to test it. You have to do a, you know, a production deployment. So you have to like, you know, adjust adjusted variable X to Y, adjust variable X to D, adjust variable X to C. That's literally sometimes what you have to do to test why production isn't working or whatever. All those commit messages are going to be in the history and they're all going to look really weird 
because you, you've just committed like 15 times just to test something. What you can do is a git rebase of all those commits so that it's all just one like tested, uh, tested and fixed for production or something like that. It can backfire though. Like these commits can 100% <laughs> these these rebases can 100% backfire because let's say you do you mess up the word the verbiage and you get rebase main for instance what it'll do is it'll take all of history of main and combine it into one commit so you've just killed your entire history you no longer have that that stuff that we were talking about where you can check when when something was done who did it and stuff like that so this is where you really need to be careful and if you're Essentially, if you're a team lead or something like that, and you require your juniors to rebase every before they commit, know that you're going to have an issue 100% no matter what. You have to sit with them and show them exactly how to do it probably five times before you allow them to do it on their own because it's that, it's that, there's that many repercussions. Now, to elevate this problem, you can have backups of your Git repository. I was going to say, your, you should probably have Git. like literally like re- repo redundancy, right? Correct. Yeah. Like a big, a large production environment might have that, but sometimes they might not. And it like, it could be permanent. <laughs> like, it oh, has, good. yes, it has happened where like people have killed their entire history with the rebase. As an IT man, I literally, the instant you said that, I was going to say, man, like, how do we have continuous redundancy? Where do we, how do we do that? Let's, let's do that. Yeah. So, that's that's my Git workflow. Um, unfortunately, that's all really the time that we have for today. Uh, I do want to. I did want to cover what can go wrong, like disasters of Git. So maybe Matt, like we already have a meeting scheduled. Maybe we can do like a web news on it for this week. We yeah, and I think I think like that's a good topic to cover. Yeah. If we you know, if we do end up doing a web news, like I think we filled like especially if it's a newbies, like we filled their head with a lot of stuff, and yeah, you don't want to scare them. Like I mean. It's almost like a the, the Git rebase thing was basically a teaser for the horror film that that could become, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if you're new, like, be careful, but, like, let's not scare them too much. That's correct. There's really no nothing else that can destroy stuff quite like a Git rebase, so don't worry if you're not rebasing. You're, you're, it's, nothing's irreparable. Uh, but, yeah, that's it for that's it for my end. Anything for All you, right. Matt? No, I think I think that basically covers it. Like I said, I don't use uh, Git too much myself. Uh, I obviously I do use it where applicable, but just lately I've been doing a lot of um, Webflow projects for people, and there's been a lot more just random like WordPress projects and stuff that have been popping up. So there's been a lot less um, GitHub, although or a lot less Git like slash version control. Although I do know people that use Git to maintain their WordPress projects, and I've been kind of maybe thinking about doing that because. It's WordPress. And That'd be kind of cool. I've broken it like three times with like one time with a short code, as I told Mike. So maybe like a Git thing would be nice. But anyway, without, without further ado, that concludes today's episode. After, after I was like almost coughing. Oh, it hurts. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> Trying to stop my cough while I was talking and then just made a weird noise instead. Anyway. We, if you like episodes like this, remember we are on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Thank you for tuning in today, and thank you to our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com, Chris from Self-Made Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com, Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com, DL Ford from dl4.io, Pip Hashash from Nineblock Media and nineblockmedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se. 
Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale and Fire Ant Season via FireAntSeason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. In fact, I encourage it. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.